Uh, well, welcome everyone uh, to, uh, to Grace this weekend. Hey, before I um, get into our conversation this weekend, I want to uh, take a minute and say a special thank you to all of our veterans. Uh, veterans Day is coming up here on Tuesday, and I wanted to pause and uh, let all the men and women who have served us and served our nation I know how much we, uh, we appreciate you and uh, honor you and uh, thank you for what you've done. I was, uh, uh, the other day, um, I was watching TV and without realizing it, my daughter was in the room, she's nine years old, and she saw something about terrorism on TV and I just didn't catch it in time, so she saw it. And uh, when we went to put her to bed that night, then she was in tears and she said, I'm scared and I'm afraid the bad guys are gonna get me. And I said, uh, I said to her, honey, that's not gonna happen because our soldiers are going to protect us. They're, they're not gonna come here and get us. And I thought about later what, what a privilege it is to be able to say that. For many nations, the soldiers would be the ones who hurt you. And ours are the ones that protect us and volunteer to do that. And so for all of you who have served us in that way, who've protected us, who've been a part of that, we, uh, we're grateful. And I want you to know that uh, your church family honors that. We love you, we wanna be here for you uh, with all the, all the things that sometimes come along with serving our country and I want you to know that you have a home here and, uh, and we're proud of you. So would you join me in thanking our veterans. We're, uh, we're in the middle of a conversation here called The Imitation Brand. We wanna continue that conversation today and uh, what we're talking about are uh, different ways that we're told to invest our life. And uh, there's ways that we've been taught, we've been raised, and we've been taught that if we want happiness and if we want joy and if we want fulfillment, sometimes if we want the salvation of our soul, that we should spend our life this way. And if you go down that path, uh, that, that's going to be found down there and you can achieve it. And our culture tells us that, every culture tells people that, and we, we've been told that and we've been raised in that way, and we've been looking and asking the, the, the hard question, is that true? Is that actually true? Would it work? If I gave my life to that, would it give me what it promises to give me? And we've been taking that claim and comparing it then to God's word. And the Bible says there is this path of life, there's a path of abundance, there's a path of joy and fulfillment and eternal life, and if you go down this path, if you draw closer to Christ and to his heart and his mind, uh, then, then you will actually have the things that your soul longs for. And so we've been taking kind of the claims of the culture and the claims of scripture and comparing them and contrasting them a little bit. And once in a while they line up, which is cool. A lot of times they don't. Uh, sometimes it's very benign. It doesn't really matter that it doesn't line up that much. And then sometimes it's a very, very serious thing that it doesn't line up because the Bible says that there is a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end it leads to death. So it's a life and death spiritually. It's a life and death investment. And then the Bible says there's a path of life. And if you go down this path, what you, what you long for, what your soul craves for can be fulfilled there and you will find life and find it to its fullest. And so we're looking at those two pathways and thinking through which one should we be on. This path that leads to death is a, a path that leads us away from, away from the heart and mind of God. And, and the Bible says there's two general reasons why we would get on this path that leads us away from the heart and the mind of God. Uh, one is the big biblical concept of rebellion. 
that I know what God says, I know what God wants, and I'm just not doing that. Forget it. I don't, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I rebel against God, and I go down this path. And the Bible says you can do that. You know, you, you probably won't get hit by a bolt of lightning. You, your house probably won't burn down. You might get transferred to Michigan if you want to risk it. But like, you can do that. But the Bible says it's a, it's a bad way to live because the Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When I, in pride, rebel against God, I actually position myself against God, and that's just a fight I'm not, I'm not going to win. So that's one reason. The other reason why people wind up on that path is because of, of a biblical concept called ignorance. Now, that word ignorant is a, is a big deal, because in our culture, if I called you ignorant, I would have insulted you pretty deeply, right? And so we don't throw that word around too much. But in the Bible, the word ignorance just means unlearned. It means I, I don't know. I, I didn't know. Like nobody ever taught me anything differently. I'm just ignorant of it. And I'm convinced that many of us wind up on this path because we're ignorant. We've been raised a certain way. We've been taught certain things. We've had kind of certain things drilled into our head and we never knew that there was another way to live, a better way to live or something that God wanted from us. And so that's what we're doing. We're investigating that <coughs> and saying, uh, am I on this path? Now I know about this other one, will I pivot? And can God and will God give me what I, what I actually long for in life? So we've been talking about it for a few weeks. If you want to catch up with it, uh, you can go out to our website, graceohio.org, and uh, you can watch the conversations there or listen to them. You can get a podcast for free through iTunes if you want and uh, catch up with it. This weekend, I want to uh, advance the conversation a little bit further, but I want to do it off of a, a quote that we looked at a lot last week. So there's a guy named Timothy Keller. He's an author and a pastor out of New York City. Timothy Keller, I recommend anything that Timothy Keller writes. If you like to read, read, read Keller. He's, he's awesome. He's a great guy too. And uh, he wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods. And uh, he says this in the book Counterfeit Gods. He says, the Bible uses three metaphors to describe how people interact with the idols of their heart. They love their idols, they trust their idols, and they obey their idols. And an idol is anything that displaces God being first in my life. So when I love something more or trust something more or obey something over Christ, that has become an idol. I've dethroned God, so to say, and put that other thing or person or idea in, in its place. And so we love, trust, and obey idols. And uh, we talked about that a little bit last week. Keller writes a lot about what we're going to talk about this week. In fact, I want you to know that my thoughts have been highly influenced by Keller's thoughts. I, th I thought some of the stuff he was writing was just brilliant. And uh, so I wanted to lay that out and bring that to you and uh, talk about this next imitation brand. And the imitation brand we want to talk about this week, the, the things that we're taught will satisfy our soul, give us happiness, give us peace, give us security. I want to talk about the imitation brand of money. And if I get enough money, if I have enough wealth, I can be secure, I can trust it, I can be happy, and if I achieve these things. And there are a few imitation brands that are more predominant in our culture than that. We're taught that you, we need to achieve, we need to move forward, it's kind of the American dream. Most of us go to school in order to earn more money, and most of us would look at people who have more money than we do and think, man, they have the life that I wish that I could have, and money is a very consuming thought for all of us. Now, as I raise that issue, right, we all tense up. We all tense up. And you're like, ah, oh, I wish you'd talk about our sex life or something else, you know, because it, it, money is a, like a tense thing. In fact, it's the leading cause of divorce. There's all, all kinds of things that money 
does. And so as we get into this, I think it's really important that we define the biblical perspective on money correctly because it's probably different than what we assume and oftentimes is different than what we've been taught. So let's kind of, before we get into the, the bigger picture, let's just stop and like define what the Bible says about money and what our perspective should be on it. Um, and let me start defining it by redefining something that a lot of us believe. The Bible does not teach, the Bible does not teach that money is evil doesn't teach it. The Bible does not teach that money is the root of all evil. Doesn't teach it, that's a misquote from the Bible. The Bible says something very different in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses nine and 10, says this, Paul says, those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Money is not evil. It's not, do I have money, don't I have money? Money is a socioeconomic structure. It's how we interact with each other in a civil society. I need something, I buy it. I need something, I earn it, right? That's all that money is. Money is not evil, it's the heart. It's the love of, the desire for, the pursuit of, the eagerness of money. It's when I chase it down, right? So when Jesus talks about money, when the Bible talks about money, you'll never, you'll never hear the Bible or see the Bible say that money is evil. What Jesus says is this. He, he doesn't say that money is evil. He says that money is dangerous, that it's a dangerous thing that we interact with. Money in and of itself is amoral. It has no morality to it, right? But it's a dangerous thing. And when we interact with money, we need to respect it, we need to understand it, and we need to understand what it can do to our hearts. That if I chase it, if I long for it, if I live for it, it can bring destruction and ruin to me. It's a dangerous thing that I need to respect, that I need to understand, and that I need to keep in its proper place in my life. This is such a big deal. Jesus actually warns more about our love of money than he does about sexual immorality. He, he understands, like, this is a temptation we're gonna struggle with. This is something that's gonna make sense to us. We were raised this way. It seems logical. It seems like it would scratch the itches of our soul, right? But in reality, if I love it, if I crave it, if I'm eager for it, if I live for it, it will actually destroy all the things that I actually long for. Now, Jesus talks about this kind of plainly in Luke chapter 12. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 12. If you don't have your Bible, there's some there in the chairs. And it's page 727 in those Bibles in the chairs. But you'll see him lay out these warnings all through the Bible. By the way, if, you're, if you have an electronic device, we use the version app, Y-O-U version. And you can uh, get that off of the App Store and um, download it for free. You can open it up. We're Grace Church, hit live event, we're Grace Church. And our zip code is 44333. Luke chapter 12, this is one place, verse 15, that Jesus gives this kind of a warning. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. He does very little forbidding. 
when it comes to money. You, you won't hear Jesus say, thou shalt not buy a boat. Thou shalt not have an RV. You know, thou shalt not get a new TV kind of thing. You, you, you won't find that in the Bible. What you'll hear is things like watch out, careful, guard your desires, understand your passions, be on guard. This money, it's not evil, it's dangerous. And it's dangerous because if I put it in the wrong place in my life, it will pull my heart away from the heart and the mind of God. And Jesus warns us about this all over the scriptures, but we're just gonna look into this passage. He warns us about it because the issue for us is not money, not whether we have money or not. The issue is, what is it that I love, trust, and obey? What is it that rules my heart? And Jesus warns, and he in essence says, if you love, trust, and obey money instead of me, if you displace me and put money in its place, then you will become what the Bible calls a greedy person. If I believe that money is what I have to have for security, if I believe that money is the key to happiness, if money drives my life, then I don't really have a choice but to start throwing elbows because I have to have it for my life to mean something. I will become greedy because I love it, trust it, and obey it. And greed is not an issue of wealth. Greed, the Bible says, is tied to idolatry. It's not whether I have money or how much money I have. It's what's ruling my heart. Am I greedy? Have I created an idol in my life? Colossians chapter three, verse five, put to death, therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Ephesians 5.5, 5, for, uh, for this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. It's not wealth, it's not money, it's greed, and greed is defined when I start loving and trusting and obeying God more than money. It's got nothing to do with wealth, and we confuse this. See, we confuse this. Some of the poorest people I've ever met in my life, I've spent all kinds of time in the third world, some of the poorest people I've ever met in my life are the most greedy. Uh, we used to, years ago, when we would go to the third world, we used to take clothes and toys and whatever with us, and we just wanted to bless people, and we would pull up in a truck, and it would get out that we were gonna give stuff away, and you would see some of the most greedy, selfish stuff happen. People would push kids away. They would rip things out of people. Because poor people can be greedy. It's got nothing to do with wealth. Some of the most generous people I've ever met have been the poorest people I've ever met. I, I've been in uh, Central Africa where uh, there having a guest is a very, very big deal. And I've literally seen people make food, serve it to me. I don't, I'm not starving, right? They'll serve it to me and they will go hungry, literally, so that I can eat and be honored as a guest. Most generous people you've ever met, they don't even have it, but they'll give it because they wanna bless you and love you. Some of the most selfish people and greedy people I've ever met are some of the wealthiest people I've ever met. I know people who are filthy rich, and they are greedy. They only think about themselves, they live for the money, they don't wanna share with anybody. That greed has broken up their marriage, destroyed their family, and they, they die with money in the bank and they never make an impact on the world. Some of the most generous people I've ever met are the wealthiest people I know. They love to share their wealth. 
They love to bless. They love to bless the kingdom of God. They love to bless the church. They love to help the poor. They find such great, great joy in sharing their wealth because greed has nothing to do with wealth. It has nothing to do with money. Money's not evil. It's dangerous. And greed is about the heart. It's what I love, trust, and obey. Now, the reason that Jesus defines it this way, right, and the reason that he does not forbid wealth, it is not a sin to have wealth. The reason that Jesus does not forbid wealth is because wealth is relative, right? Wealth is relative. What's it mean to be wealthy? Well, there's no way to define it, right? Who in here is wealthy? Raise your hands, right? Now, let me, let me define it a little bit different for you. Ready? Here you go. If you have eaten today, if you have more than two changes of clothes, if you live in a structure with electricity and you have access to clean water and you own a car, you're in the top 1% of the wealthiest people on the face of the planet. Who in here is wealthy? Ah, everybody. So what is wealth, right? I'm wealthy, I'm wealthy, right? So who, wealth is relative. You're always wealthier than somebody else. Somebody else is always wealthier than you. So who's wealthy? We're all wealthy. Now let me ask you another question. Who in here is greedy? I don't know, right? We just, he's buzzard with our heads, right? Who, who's greedy? It's a, it's, it's a completely different question. And if you pointed at me and accused me of being greedy or I pointed at you and accused you of being greedy, I would counter that accusation with the relative nature of my wealth. So if you pointed at me and said, you're so greedy, you just bought a new car. I would counter you with the relative uh, relativity of my wealth, right? I would say, yeah, I bought a new car, but I bought a Subaru. It's not like I bought a Mercedes, see? And the guy that just bought the Mercedes, yeah, I got a Mercedes. It's not like I'm driving a Lamborghini. And the guy with the Lamborghini is like, I got a Lamborghini. It's not like I'm driving a Subaru, right? <laughs> that's, how, that's how we would defend the accusation of greed. You live in a big house. You have 1,500 square feet of house, which is a huge house compared to the rest of the world. The average house in Haiti is 200 square feet and up to 12 people live in it, right? Mansions where you live, and you say, oh, yeah, I live in a 1,500 square foot house. It's not like I have 3,000 square feet, right? You're, well, you're greedy, how come? Because you eat for entertainment while other people starve to death. You go out to eat, that's eating as entertainment. And we would counter, yeah, but when I go out to eat, I go to Applebee's. It's not like I eat at Fleming's every night, <laughs> right? See how that works? So what's wealth? Wealth is not the issue because wealth is relative. I don't know how to define wealth. You don't know how to define wealth. Wealth is somebody having more than me and there's always somebody poorer than I am. There's always somebody richer than I am. So what's wealth? And Jesus looks and says, it's not wealth. It's not about having things or not having things. It's about greed. Am I greedy? What is it, where is it that I place my love, my trust, and my obedience? What defines my heart? Now, when it comes to figuring out if I'm greedy or not, my experience has been that it's best to self-diagnose. Because I, n I never feel like I'm greedy, and I feel like you're greedy, but I'm usually looking at your wealth, not your heart. So I found that it's best that if we, if we self-diagnose, the question is not how much money do I have, but what do I love, trust, and obey? 
And so what I wanna do this weekend is I wanna give you some questions that you can ask yourself that will allow you to self-diagnose whether you're greedy. And you'll understand, right, where your heart is in relation to where Christ would have it to be. So here it is. How do I know if I'm greedy or not? Here's questions that you can ask yourself. The first question I can ask myself to figure out if I'm greedy or not is this one. Do I embrace or resist generosity? Do I embrace or do I resist generosity? And the Bible would ask this question probably more like this. The Bible would say, do you hear and pay heed to the cries of the poor? Do you hear and pay heed to, do you do something about the cries of the poor? And this is how this plays out in our culture. When I'm interacting with my wealth, and we all have wealth, right? And I want to do something with my wealth, does Christ's heart and mind come into play? Do I ask, is there anything else that I could or should invest this wealth in? Now, most of the time when we spend our wealth, what we do is we buy newer versions of what we already own. So when I walk in and I'm like, I go to Best Buy and I'm like, have you seen that 72-inch curved flat screen TV? I need one of those, right? Because I have a 57-inch flat screen TV that's an antique. My old TV is four inches wide. It's a piece of junk. I need this, right? So I want a newer version of what I already own. I'm asking myself the question, do I ever consider what else my wealth could do? Before I go spend this money on something that I already own, is there a need that God has brought across my path? Is there a part of the kingdom of God that I could build? Is there a way that I could serve someone else? And sometimes God might say, you know what? Hold off on that TV, do this instead. Sometimes you might go buy your TV. Jesus doesn't forbid anything. It's a condition of the heart. Do I think about or consider the things that God would consider? This is what the Bible, when, when I don't do this, I am greedy, when I never even consider it, God's heart never even crosses my mind, it's an indication that I'm a greedy person. And greed is the love of money. It's not the use of it. It's the love of it. Keller says this, lovers of money are those who find themselves daydreaming and fantasizing about new ways to make money new possessions to buy, and looking with jealousy on those who have more than they do. I love it, it drives me. Now listen, Jesus is not talking about a business person whose job it is to create money, to sell a product at a profit. It creates jobs, he's not talking about capitalism. He's not talking about a Christmas wish, where you might look and say, I really wanted a new sweater for Christmas, but now I feel horrible. I hate Jeff Bogue, right? You're not talking about enjoying or wanting something new. He's not giving, giving a list of forbiddance, right? You can't do this, you can't do that. He's not talking about an entrepreneur who thinks up a new idea that might hit the market and make money off of it. Jesus is not forbidding activity. He is warning us about the condition of our hearts. It's when I love it and I live for it and I'm defined by it. It's when the passion for money eclipses my heart for Christ. 
I don't even care what Christ thinks, I want that thing over there. It's when my passion for money trumps my love for people. I'm not even considering how else I could use my wealth. I want something. It's when I dream only for me and never for others or for the work of Christ. If I get a raise, I could go buy this. I never think about if I get a raise, I could go help these people. See, What I want is what drives me. It's when I have less money than someone else and I despise how God has blessed another. That my boss, he's filthy rich. He drives a car. I can't stand him, one percenter. You know what that is? That's coveting. It's in the top 10. That's all that is. I can't be happy for you. I can't let you enjoy. I can't be excited that my sister got a bigger house than I did. I can't be excited that my brother gets to take a trip I don't get to take. I'm jealous of it. Why? Because their wealth, that means so much to me. I'm a lover of money. When I love money, it's an indication that I'm greedy. And greed is an idol. It displaces Christ in my heart. Most people in North America do not resist generosity because we have a need. Most of us resist generosity because we have a want. Very, very few of us would have to look at our children and say, listen, sweetie, you're gonna have to miss a meal so we can take those resources and provide a meal for these kids over here. Very few of us would struggle with that. The reason we resist generosity is because we look and say, I want that flat screen and they need to eat. But I want this. I want a newer version of what I already have. And what causes me to resist it is not that I'll put myself in need, that the Apostle Paul says, I don't even want you to do that. I don't want you to put yourself in the need to meet somebody else. What I want is equality. If you're gonna eat today and you have great wealth, it would be really terrific if they got to eat today also. Doesn't forbid the TV. It's a condition. It's a position of the heart. Second question. Is my security found in money? Is my security found in money? Greed comes up when I begin to trust money and I place my trust in money. Keller, again, says it this way. He said, trusters of money feel that they have control of their lives and are safe and secure because of their wealth. I would have peace, I would have safety, I would have security. Everything would be fine if I could just get enough money in my life. And if I believe that, then I have to give my life to acquiring that, and I'm going to become a greedy person. Jesus warns about this back in Luke chapter 12. And he says this, verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus, tell him to give me some money. And Jesus said, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what should I do? There's no place for me to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. 
And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or about your body, what you'll wear. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you little faith? Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world, the godless world, turns after such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give them to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus looks and he says, guys, what are you doing? What are you doing? You, you think you're gonna find security in stuff? You, you think that, that when is enough gonna be enough? When are you finally gonna be safe? When, when are you finally going to acquire everything that it takes to satisfy your soul? And he looks at his disciples and says, you can't do it. It's impossible. And if you put your trust in those things, they are not going to give you what you actually want. The rich fool was not a fool because he had wealth. The rich fool was a fool because he trusted that his money would provide his salvation. If I could just have it, if I could just get it, if I could just bank it, if I could just set it aside. And Jesus warns, he says, careful, careful. Now you're living for something that cannot do what you've been promised that it will do for you. Trusters of money, do I feel like it will make me safe and secure? Here's the third question, figure out if I'm greedy or not. Third question. Is my stress and time dictated by money? Is my stress and time dictated by money? Greed happens when we begin to obey money. When we invest our lives in the acquisition of money and possessions, we are being obedient to money. Now money and the investment of our life, money starts to define the investment of our life. Money starts to define how we live. Money starts to define how we think. Money starts to dictate our schedule. It starts to define our dreams. It starts to announce our successes. And when we look and we say, this is how I think of myself. This is how I see my value. This is what I give myself to. If that's money, then money has become greed and greed has become an idol. And money, and the acquisition of it has become the God that has displaced Christ. Now, listen, let's talk about this again. Jesus is not talking about provision through work 
That's actually a biblical concept. The Bible says if a man is unwilling to work, he shouldn't eat. So when I work and I earn money and I provide, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about even the comforts of life. He's not saying, you know, you, you turn on your air conditioner, you're gonna be hot forever, right? He's, he's not talking about enjoying some of the, the, the comforts of life. He's also not talking about financial advancement. He's not looking and saying, you know, I'd like to earn a raise, or I, I would like to put in for that promotion. Uh, I, I think it, it would be nice if we could have a larger house for our family. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about what owns me. What do I stare at the ceiling about at night? What do I dream of? What do I long for? What do I want? And that is what becomes my master. And Jesus says in Luke 16, 13, he can't serve two masters. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you're gonna hate one and love the other or despise one and be devoted to the other. You cannot serve both God and money. One will displace the other. And when I become obedient to money, it is the driver of my life. I've displaced Christ as the ruler and the definer of who I am. So I start to ask myself that question. Is my stress in time dictated? What do I think about, long for, worry about? See, and what do I give my life to? All right, last question, here it is. And this is the big one. This one's gonna sting a little bit. So buckle up, you may wanna take an Advil. All right, this is gonna hurt some. Here's the fourth question, and this is the very, very big question. When I'm trying to figure out if I am greedy or not, because you're self-diagnosing, I'm not doing it for you, you're asking yourself this question. When I'm trying to figure out if I'm greedy or not, I need to ask myself the question, am I a thief? Am I a thief? Greed is never exposed more blatantly than when I'm a thief. Greed is never more naked. Greed is never more obvious. Greed is never more apparent than when I am a thief. When I look at something that I want, and I want that thing so badly that I will set aside my morals, I will set aside my ethics, I will set aside biblical instruction, I will set aside my personal integrity so I can take what I want. There is no clearer demonstration of greed than that, where everything gets overridden so that I can grab a hold of what I want and I will take it. And when I'm thinking about whether or not I'm greedy or not, one of the, one of the most blatant questions I can ask myself is, am I a thief? I know rich people who are thieves. I know poor people who are thieves, right? And being a thief will unmask Greed, it will show you whether you're greedy or not. Now, what does it mean to be a thief? Let's talk about this a little bit. So certainly being a thief is when I take something without permission, right? I want it, I see it, I take it. I take it out of your car, I take it out of my sister's room, I do whatever. I, I get into my mom's well. I, I take something without permission, I'm being a thief. But being a thief is more than an action, it's a condition of the heart. So I am a thief, for instance, when I overcharge someone. When I look and I mess with the numbers and it's, it's beyond a profit, it, it's beyond a commission, but I look and I think if I press this person, I can take, they have something I want, they have money and I want it. And so I'm gonna overcharge them for it, right? And I become a thief. 
I'm, I'm a thief when I take advantage of someone else's ignorance. When I provide a service for someone, and the reason they have me provide it for them is because they don't know what to do. So I pull my car into the shop, and I come out and I say, your car needs a, who's a, what's a jigger thingamajig? It's gonna be $1,200, right? And all it really needed was like a spark plug. But I looked and I said, they, they don't know. They'll never even understand. They don't even know. And I can take advantage of their ignorance and I can steal their money because I want it. My morals, my ethics, biblical instruction, my integrity will be pushed aside because I can, so I will. I am a thief when I accept payment without giving my best work. By the way, this is what it means to have a job. When I have a job, I enter into an agreement. And the agreement is this. I will accept money from my employer in return for my best effort. And when I do not give that best effort, I'm stealing that money. So when I sign a contract, I'm a contractor, and I leave that job half done, or I cut those corners because I'm sick of messing with it, or I sign up to work for somebody, and we have an agreement, they're gonna pay me this much, I'm gonna give them 40 hours a week, and I show up 40 hours a week, but 10 of those 40 hours I spend on Facebook. I'm stealing those 10 hours. That was not our agreement, and I know it, and they know it, but I'm taking the paycheck anyways. When I stretch out the lunch break, when I have somebody else punch in for me, when I'm running an errand and I take the long way around, whenever I'm not working efficiently and with the best effort that I can work and giving my all, I'm stealing from the person who's paying me because that was not our agreement. I'm a thief. And the reason I'm doing that is because I want something from them. So I will set aside my ethics, my morals, my integrity and biblical instruction to get it. I'm a thief when I, when I do something deceitful to acquire something else, see? I'm a thief when I find something and I don't try to return it to their owners, right? Finders keepers, losers weepers, right? You know that's not yours and you know that it's there out of an accident, you know. And when I make no effort to take what is not mine and return it to its rightful owner, I've stolen it. It's not finders, keepers, losers, weepers. It's thief, right? Because I want it. And so I will take it and I will set aside my morals, my ethics, and my integrity. I'm a thief when I spend family money on selfish desires. When I drink away the paycheck, when I gamble away the paycheck, when I TJ Maxx away the paycheck. I'm a thief. And we look and say, well, I earned this money. It's my money. Not if you're married and have a family, it's not your money. You entered into an agreement that you would provide for that family. If you're a dual income family, it's not your money, it's the family's money. You entered into agreement that we would do these things and we would provide. My paycheck is not my paycheck, it's my family's. The reason I earned that money it's to provide for my family. It's not mine to do whatever I want to with it. It's for the provision of my family. And when I hoard it or keep it or secret or I lie or I don't tell him I've got it, I've stolen it. And I've stolen it from my family. Okay? I know that I'm greedy 
if I'm a thief. Okay, now, let me, let me press this in a little deeper. This is really gonna sting. You may wanna take another Advil and get an ice pack, ready? This concept is why my unwillingness to tithe reveals the true condition of my heart to God, to, toward God. Because when I do not tithe, the Bible says clearly I am stealing from God. Malachi chapter three says this, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tenth to the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for it. The biblical concept of a tithe is a first fruit. The first 10% pre-tax belongs to God, it's first fruit. And a tithe is a minimum in the Bible, not a maximum. The reason that we would not tithe is because we have a skewed view of money. And believe it or not, it's because we idolize it. And this is the skewed view of money. When I look at my money and I think to myself, this is mine. This is my house, this is my car, it's my bank account, it's my retirement account. This is mine. God would push back very hard on that and say, no, 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 no. It is mine and you are the steward of it. I'm a self-made man. No, you're not. You're a God-made man. It's very different. God gave you your mind. Who's the one that decided that your mind would work correctly? that you would have your IQ, that you would be born in this century, that you would be born in North America. Who decided those things? Did you decide it? God decided it. We are God-made people. We are not self-made people. And everything that we have ultimately is a blessing from God. He can take it and he gives it, right? So when I look at my stuff and I think, what? God wants me to give, it's crazy. You're right, it's crazy, because what God actually says is give me everything. The 10% is just to remind you who owns it. It's a minimum, not a maximum. And when I withhold from God, when I have the gall to look at God and say, you cannot have what is yours, I am keeping it because I want it, Malachi says I'm a thief. I rob from God. And the only reason that I would resent the 90% of the blessing God gave me is because I am greedy. See how that works? Told you it'd sting. And all of a sudden you start looking and say, oh, God, God does not care about our wealth. God does not look and say, Everybody's, everybody give 100 bucks, everybody. God cares about our heart. And when he talks about money, he's, not, he's actually not controlling of money. He doesn't give us a bunch of to-do lists and to-don't lists when it comes to money. He gives us warnings. And he would look at us and say, guys, be on guard, watch out, be careful. You, you're actually robbing 
me. What does that say about you? Be on guard, be careful, because loving money will take you to places you don't want to be. And, and I'm, I want you to know this is dangerous. It's not evil, it's just dangerous. And if this starts to rule your heart, it will pull you away from me. Now, why is God so passionate about this? Why would he talk about money more than sex? Why is he so passionate about this? Let me tell you why. Because he loves you. And when God looks at the longing of your soul, and he looks and say, you want happiness, and you want fulfillment, and you want security, and you want peace, and you want hope, God will look at you and say, I actually want those things for you. And when it comes to the conversation about money, God would know that if I sell my soul to money, I will never achieve the things I actually want. So he says, put, it, put money in its proper place, pursue me, seek me in my kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. I don't care about the wealth. I care about the heart. If you sell your soul to this, you've said no to me, and you will never have what you actually long for. And guys, listen to me. Everybody look at me. We know this. We know it. Every one of us knows that money doesn't make us happy. Every one of us has seen a marriage blown up because of money. Every one of us has seen a family blown apart because of money. Some of us have seen churches blown up because of money. We've seen countries blown up because of money. We know it. And it is such a temptation. God says this is dangerous. I know a family, four adult siblings that have not spoken to each other for, for almost five years now because they got in a fight over the inheritance from their mother when she passed away. Four adult siblings who do not speak over to each other because they got in a fight because of this inheritance, an inheritance of $1,200. And we know this happens. And we're tempted because all we've ever been told is if you want to be happy, get your stuff. And God comes in so strongly and says, no, it's greed. Well, I'm not greedy. Really? You robbed from me. And I don't want this for you. I don't want you to have a big house and no home. I don't want you to have a big paycheck and no family. I don't want you to be able to buy your wife anything, but she doesn't even want to be in your presence. I want you to have peace and joy and hope and security and a fulfillment of your heart and it doesn't really matter what the dollars are that are involved. It's not about wealth, it's about greed. Money's not evil, it's dangerous. And so Jesus warns, he doesn't forbid, he warns, careful, watch out, guard. All right. Trying to give you guys handles that you can walk away with a little bit. So here they are, the, in, the ingredients to get what you really want out of life. Basically, I'm just gonna kind of restate some of these questions so you can get your hands around them some, okay? 
So ask yourself these questions also, kind of put it in this, this framework. Number one, be honest about your greed, right? Who's wealthy? We all have to admit it because you can measure it, right? We're all, we're all in the wealthy category. Who's greedy? I don't know, right? Me either. Ask yourself and be honest about your greed. Look, look at those questions, process it through. Facts are our friends, right? And put everything in its proper place so we pursue the heart of God, right? Number two, ingredient to what you really want, instill the discipline of giving. Instill the discipline of giving. Make it a habit to give, right? What is a tithe? A tithe is a discipline, right? It's not a, it's not a maximum, it's a minimum. But it reminds me who owns everything that I have, right? So why do we tithe? Let, let me ask you this question this way. Why do we pray? Why do we pray? You ever think about that? Why do we make our request known to God? Why would, why would we do that? Is that for God's benefit? When we pray and we're like, God, I've really been sick, I'm having surgery Tuesday, is God like, what? I didn't, surgery? I didn't even know, uh, I'll be there. You know, is, that, is, that, is that why we pray? It's because God just doesn't know and we gotta fill him in on it, you know? So why do we pray? We, we don't make our request known to God because God doesn't know. We pray because it humbles us. It reminds me that the creator God loves me. It reminds me that a sovereign God dictates my life. It reminds me that God's will is greater than my will. I pray for me, I don't pray to inform God. Why do we tithe? Do we, do we tithe because heaven's in a recession? The street's gold, man. The street budget is like killing us up here, right? Is, it, is that why we tithe? No, God owns everything. I had a guy one time who said, the church is just about, we just want my money. I said, if, if God wants your money, he'll just kill you and give it to me. Freaked him out. He couldn't sleep for a week, right? But, if, but it's just true. That's, that, that was the parable, right? Your life is demanded of you. We don't tithe for God, we tithe for us. It's a discipline that reminds us who owns what. It keeps our heart centered. Have you ever regretted serving someone? Have you ever walked away and said, that was the worst day I ever had? Have you ever regretted running the credit card up? Have you ever regretted signing the lease? See, I tithe because it positions my heart, because it make my heart and my treasure cannot be separated. So instill the discipline of giving, of tithing. Now listen, some of us don't know each other, right? Some of you don't know, don't know me, you don't know Grace Church. Don't tithe to Grace Church. If you don't know us, if you don't love us, if you don't trust or even know what we would do with the money, then don't, don't tithe to us, I don't care. F find something that you believe in and tithe to it. If you trust Feed My Starving Children, tithe 10% of your pre-tax income to Feed My Starving Children. If you trust uh, Big Brothers and Big Sisters, tithe the Big Brothers and Big Sisters. And get, this is what's gonna happen. When you start tithing to those places, you will start to love the people those places are meant to serve. That's how it's gonna work. Because your heart follows your money and your money's attached to your heart. So instill the discipline of giving. Last thing, ingredients for what you really want out of life, ask God to help you develop an attitude of gratitude. Ask God to help you develop an attitude of gratitude. Listen, 
Do you know the reason why you resent the person with a bigger house than you have? Do you know why you resent the person with a newer car than you've got, right? I can't stand that guy. Get a new house, new car, he's sexy. I hate that Jeff Bowe, I hate that guy, right? <laughs> His wife's good looking, I hate that guy, right? So, do you know why you resent someone who has more than you have? You resent when someone has more than you have because you're not grateful for what you have. When I look and say, that guy's got a Mercedes and I drive a Subaru, the reason I resent what he has is because I'm not grateful for my Subaru. The guy's got 3,000 square feet, we have 1,500 square feet. The reason I resent him is because I'm not grateful for what I have. It's got nothing to do with them, it's got to do with me. Ask God to develop it within you, an attitude of gratitude. Thank you, God, for my job. Thank you for my provision. Thank you for our home. Thank you for this car. Thank you. And the reason we're jealous is because we're not grateful. So ask God to develop that and build that in you. All right. Ton to think about. Ton to download, right? And it's hard, you, you have to do it, I can't do it for you, because now nobody's sure whether they should go to Applebee's or not, right? And so I, I know, I know that's, that's why God doesn't lay down the, a bunch of rules. But he wants us to be examining our heart, seeing, God, are you ruling, defining, reigning in me, or have I displaced you? Okay. So I'm gonna pray for us, and the band is gonna come out while I do that, and then we're gonna take a few minutes where you can Thank, hear the words of the song, and just give God a little latitude. Capture that time, guys. We're not good at sitting still. So sit still for a little bit and let God push these things deep into your heart, okay? All right, Jesus, thank you for your generosity to us. God, thank you for showing us this stuff. I would, I fall into this stuff so easily, God. I don't even know it. I just raised this way, honestly. And Thank you for showing us a different path, the path to life. Lord, thank you for your grace. We, we know this doesn't work, and yet we go after it anyways, and thank you for pulling us back and loving us and helping us. Thank you for showing us your heart and your perspective. God, help us to receive that, to trust you, to love you, to obey you, and to give ourselves fully to you. Thank you, God, for revealing the imitation brand, and thank you for defining the truth. We love you for it, Jesus, in your name, amen.